Chapter 5, Part 2 of Tales of a Vanishing River. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Hirsch. Tales of a Vanishing River by Earl H. Reed. Tipton Posey's Store, Part 2. Spot was a well-trained bird dog. Hyatt had borrowed him from the old man about two years before, and his facilities for taking care of him were much better than Bill was able to provide. The animal was allowed to remain at Hyatt's houseboat on indefinite leave. He slept under the rude bed, and seemed much happier there than at home. Hyatt was now in rather a delicate position. The dog had not been seen in the neighborhood for over a week. An old trapper had come down the river in a canoe and stopped for an hour or so at the houseboat. He announced his intention of leaving the country forever, and was on his way to the Illinois where he hoped to find enough muskrats to occupy his remaining days. He wanted a good quail dog, and, after much jockeying, had acquired spot in exchange for a repeating rifle and a box of cartridges. The dog was tied in the front end of the canoe and departed with his new owner. Hyatt had an abiding faith that Spot would return in a few days, and that the stranger would be too far away downstream to want to buffet the strong current to get him back. The dog's homing instinct had proved reliable heretofore, as he had been sold several times under similar conditions, and was now regarded as a possible source of steady income by his thrifty guardian. Hyatt was careful not to sell the animal to anybody who was liable to be in that part of the country again. Spot had once gone as far as the Mississippi River with a confiding purchaser, and was away only a little over two weeks. He was now expected back at any time. In fact, he was under the bed when Hyatt arrived home after the disagreeable reproaches of Bill Stiles, and the next day the incident was considered closed by both parties. The only pet that Bill had cared anything for in recent years, besides his dog, was a one-legged duck that he called Esther. The missing support had been acquired by a snapping turtle in the river, and Bill's sympathies and affections had been aroused. During her owner's absence from his shack, Esther and her brown brood were confined in the hollow base of a big tree, protected from the weasels and skunks by a wire screen over the opening. By Saturday night, Hyatt and Stiles had become quite chummy again. It was very hot, and we sat in front of the store with our coats off. Bill was discoursing sapiently on topics of international import, and we saw somebody down the road. That old mud turkle coming yonder with that pipe stuck in all them whiskers is Bill Wirick, he announced after further observation. We call him Puckerbrush Bill, on account of his being up in Puckerbrush Bayou one night in his pushboat and trying to make a shortcut to get back to the river. He got his whiskers tangled in the puckerbrush and had to cut away a lot of them with his knife to get out. He's between some pretty big bunches of them now, but they ain't nothing to what they was. 
He had pretty near half a bushel, and he used to carry his money in him. I suppose he'll be tellin' all about its troubles when he gets here. That's what's the matter with this place, and it makes me tired to hear all these fellers tellin' their troubles when they ought to be listenin' to mine. My troubles has got some importance, but theirs don't interest nobody. Hello, Buck, greeted the old man as where it came up. How's things down to the slough? Pretty slow. Got any tobacco? Listen at him, whispered Bill. He was duly supplied and took one of the hickory chairs under the awning. Notwithstanding their reported depletion, his whiskers were still impressive, and the warm evening breeze played softly and fondly among the ample remnants. His mouth was concealed somewhere in the maze. His pointed nose and watchful, furtive eyes gave his face a peculiar foxy expression. It's a good thing you didn't strike a prairie fire with them whiskers instead of a mess of old puckerbrush, remarked Bill, after a period of silence. I'm going to mow em in a few days to cool off, and then raise a new crop for next winter. There's lots more where them come from, replied Work. I'll get some whiskers that'll make you fellows set up and take notice for the snowflies. The mention of fire in connection with his whiskers must have suggested something to Wirrick, for when he appeared without them the following week, he said that he hated a razor, couldn't find any shears, and had frizzled them off with a candle. Bill was shocked at his appearance. You look like you was half naked. I see now why you've been keeping that old mug of yours and covered up. You got a bum face. You get busy and get all the whiskers you can right away. The next arrival was Swan Peterson, an aged Swede who lived in a dilapidated shack festooned on the inside with rusty muskrat traps near the mouth of Crooked Creek. His liver had rebelled against many years of unfair treatment, and his visage was of a greenish yellow. A prodigious white mustache that suggested a chrysanthemum in full bloom accentuated the evidence of his ailment. He was considerably over six feet tall. The years of hardship and isolation had bent his mighty shoulders and saddened his gray eyes. Peterson was cast in a heroic mold. His ancestors were the sea-wolves who roved over perilous and unknown waters and met violent deaths in years when the Norse legends were in the making. But their wild forays and stormy lives meant nothing to him. He had no interest in the past or traditions to uphold. All he now wanted in the world was plenty of patent medicine and whiskey to mix with it, and, in a pinch, he could get along without the medicine. The jaundiced Viking came slowly up on the platform, looked us over languidly, and commented on the general cussedness of the weather and life's monotonies. I've been here fifty years, and I've seen the same damn thing every year all over again. It been cold in the winter and hot in the summer. I eat and sleep and eat and sleep some more, and work hard all day and then eat and sleep every day the same damn thing. I've been taking medicine now five years, and I can't get none that's got any kick. 
Maybe I got some of them old things that Rass Waddle says Wahoo Bitters will cure. But maybe I got something else that they didn't know about when they mixed that stuff. I find mixing half Wahoo and half whiskey bends some help. But I'm going to try some other bitters and mix in more whiskey. That whiskey been a good thing. And when I get a good thing, I put a sinker on it. Old Doc Dust drove up in a squeaky buggy with an ancient top. His lazy gray mare seemed glad to get her feet into the hollowed ground in front of the hitching rail. Certain types in the medical profession are never called anything but Doc, except when more profane appellations are required. Dust was a befitting name for the old man, for he appeared to be much dried up. His parchment-like skin was drawn tightly over his protruding cheekbones, and his emaciated figure seemed almost ready to blow away. A frayed Prince Albert coat was secured with one button at the waist, and a rusty plug hat was jammed down on the back of his head. These things were evidently intended to impart a professional air, but they completed a sad satire. The doc looked like a hypocritical old scamp. Much human character, or the lack of it, may be indicated by a hat and the manner of wearing it, particularly if it is a plug. Worn in the ordinary, conventional way, a correct plug is supposed to provide a roof for a certain kind of dignity, but usually it indicates nothing beyond a mere lack of artistic sensibility. Tipped forward, it suggests sulkiness, obstinacy, and self-complacency, a sort of spotty rowdyism when worn on one side, and disregard of the rights and opinions of others when it is tilted back of the ears. Of course, the condition and the year of coinage of the plug enter into the equation and complicate it, but even a very shabby plug is an entertaining storyteller. To a careful and discriminating student of human folly, it is replete with subtleties. A Fiji Island cannibal, whose only wearing apparel was a plug hat, was once made chief of his tribe on account of it. It was probably as becoming to him as it had been to the spiritual adviser he had eaten. Such dignity and distinction as it was capable of imparting was his. He had attained what is possibly the apothesis of barbaric headdress of our age. Doc carried two medicine cases under his buggy seat on his professional rounds. One of them was stocked with a dozen large bottles with Latin labels, and the other with small files containing white pills the size of a number six shot. If his patient preferred allopathy, he or she got it with a vengeance. If homopathy was wanted, the smaller receptacle was drawn upon. The leaders in the allopathy box were castor oil, calomel, and quinine, aconite and belladonna 100 and magnesium phos 10 occupied the places of honor in the other. Dust had weathered several matrimonial storms, 
and his last wife was now under the wildflowers in the county cemetery where the epithet on the unpretentious stone erected by her own relatives was more congratulatory than sorrowful doc hopkins or hoppy doc as he was irreverently dubbed along the river was dust's only rival the competition was bitter and many untimely ends were ascribed by each of them to the other's criminal ignorance hoppy doc often told with great relish a story of cornelia kibbins dust's first wife alleging that after a year of tempestuous married life she had fled to her father's home late one winter night for refuge her irate parent refused her an asylum he had felt greatly outraged when the wedding took place and never wanted to see his daughter again in answer to the plaintive midnight cry at his door he leaned out a second-story window and delivered a torrent of invective as he closed the window he shouted dust thou art and unto dust shalt thou return the suppliant disappeared and evidently the worm turned for dust was a physical wreck for a month afterwards old man kibbins subsequently declared that while his daughter was a damn fool she had fightin' blood in her, and that the doc had better look out for squalls. Dust was guyed good-naturedly by the occupants of the platform as he went into the store to get some fine cut. "'What's that you got out there between them buggy thrills, doc?' queried Hyatt. Bill winked at me and asked him if he had driven by his garden lately a delicate reference to the cemetery intended to be sarcastic another stovepipe hat was brought by pop wilkins an octogenarian he also wore it jammed well down behind his ears the old man climbed painfully up the steps with his hickory cane and dropped into a chair that hyatt brought out of the store for him he placed the ancient tile under it mopped his bald head with a large red bandana and looked wistfully beyond the river pop had been afflicted with intermittent ague for several years he was once a preacher and a temperance advocate he was placed on the superannuated list by the methodist conference and had finally been expunged as a backslider he fell from grace and yielded to the lure of strong waters once after he had overindulged for several weeks he went and sat in sad reflection on the bank of the gloomy river at night out of its depths came strange six-footed beasts and multicolored crawling things that terrified pop and drove remorse into his soul since that eventful night he had been more moderate but he was still in danger and it was a question as to whether old age ague or j barleycorn would get him first my friend colonel peets who was a comparatively recent importation into the river country came over the bridge with a basket on his arm containing a couple setter pups that he wanted posy to see 
with a view of possibly having them applied on his account at the store. He was an ex-Confederate from Tennessee, and seemed sadly out of harmony with his surroundings. The pups were liberated on the platform, and subjected to much poking about and criticism by the experts. The colonel considered them fine specimens of a noble strain, but Wyrick thought they looked like they had some wolf blood in them. Posey agreed to accept the little animals in lieu of eight dollars owed by the colonel, with the understanding that they were to be kept for him until they were a month older. Everybody understood his kindly consideration for the old man, and knew that he had no earthly use for the pups. The assemblage in front of the store became more varied and interesting with the arrival of other visitors. The chairs were exhausted, and the platform edge was entirely occupied. Bill Stiles had just commenced the narration of a horse-trade story, when an old man appeared in the twilight on the bridge. He wore a long gray overcoat, although the evening was very warm. The story stopped, and interest was centered on the slowly approaching figure. I asked Posey who he was. He bent his head towards me confidentially, and in something between a low whistle and a whisper, replied, Sst! The serpent's hiss! We were in Prohibition territory, and the old bootlegger was bringing twelve flat pint bottles and twelve inside pockets of the gray overcoat to break the drought at Posey's store. He was an unbonded warehouse, and the reason for the mysterious gathering on that particular evening was now apparent. He came slowly up the steps, and seemed embarrassed to find the stranger present. I was introduced and vouched for by my friend Posey, and he seemed much relieved. Conversation had been rather dull during the last half hour, but now it had a merry note. The jaundiced Viking brightened up and wondered how many birds' nests had been constructed with the whiskers that Wyrick had left up in the bayou. Time-worn jokes were laughed at more than usual. Some new insurance that Posey had acquired was regarded as indicating a big fire as soon as business got dull, and Doc Dust was told that he ought to keep the small bag of oats under his buggy seat away from the medicine cases or he would lose his horse. "'Well, time is flittin', remarked the serpent's hiss, as he rose and departed for the barn lot behind the store. One by one, like turtles slipping off a log into a stream, those who sat along the edge of the platform dropped silently to the ground and followed him, and most of the occupants of the chairs joined the procession. Like the oriflamme of Henry of Navarre, the gray overcoat led them on through the dusk. The retreat to the rear was in deference to Posey's scruples. He preferred that the store itself should be kept free from illegitimate traffic. The odor of substantial sin and a faint suggestion of a dragon's breath was in the atmosphere when the crowd returned. Deliverance had come. 
aridity was succeeded by bountiful moisture that, like gentle rain, had fallen upon thirsty flowers. The colonel seemed in some way to be dissatisfied with his visit to the barn, and was at odds with the owner of the gray overcoat when the expedition returned. He had parted with a silver coin under protest. Innate courtesy, sir, compels me to partake of y'all abundance, sir, he declared. It was not that I wanted your infernal mixture, you mink-eyed old grave-robber, he declared as he left with his puppies. The old bootlegger's name was Richard Shakes, but the obvious natural perversion to Dick Snakes was too tempting to be resisted by the river humorists. He was also frequently alluded to as Tiger Cat, a term that seemed much more appropriate to the liquids he dispensed than to him, for outside of his questionable occupation, the old man was entirely inoffensive and harmless. He was another member of the old-time trapping fraternity, and lived alone in a log house on the creek about two miles away. He had a large collection of Indian relics that he had spent many years in accumulating, and he took great delight in showing them to anybody who came to see him. The arrow and spearheads were methodically arranged in long rows on thin, smooth boards, and held in place by the heads of tacks that overlapped their edges. The boards were nailed to the walls of faced logs all over the interior of the cabin. Nearly everybody in the surrounding country had contributed to the collection at one time or another, and it was being added to constantly. There were many fine specimens of tomahawk heads, stone axes, and other implements that had been fashioned with admirable skill. The old man guarded his hoarded treasures with a miser's solicitude, for they were the solace of his lonely life. He had refused large offers for the collection as a whole, and never could be induced to part with single specimens except under pressure of immediate necessity. There are few mental comforts comparable with those of absorbing hobbies. They temper the raw winds and asperities of existence to a wonderful degree, and offer a welcome balm of heart interest to lives weary of continued conflict for mythical goals. We may smile at them in others, but we realize their deep significance when they are our own. Poor old Shakes was but another example of one made happy by a harmless fad, the joys of which might well be coveted by those whose millions have brought only fear and sorrow. After it is all over, the pursuit of one phantom has been as gratifying as the quest of another, for they both end in darkness. After sitting around for a while and listening to the enlivened conversation and the gossip of the neighborhood that now circulated freely, the old man bought a package of tobacco in the store for which he said he had been stung ten cents and left us with the overcoat from which the cargo had been discharged hung lightly over his arm. The assemblage gradually dispersed. Wirick, Hyatt, and the jaundiced Viking 
went down to the river bank and departed in their pushboats. Doc Dust invited Pop Wilkins to ride with him, and they betook themselves into the shadows. Tipton Posey relighted his pipe, and Bill Stiles resumed the story of the horse trade. End of chapter 5, part 2. Recording by Tom Hirsch.